I'm Joanne Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Small, meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Friends since their college days at the University of Chicago, Claire Mazur and Erica Cirillo are the founders of Of A Kind. Launched in 2010, the website has featured over 350 of America's most promising makers and has expanded to include a cultish weekly newsletter and a related podcast. In 2015, Claire and Erica sold Of A Kind to Bed Bath & Beyond, where they continue to oversee and grow the company they built. You guys met at University of Chicago, right? Yes. Yep. In 2002? Yeah, I almost year? said 10 and that's I know. wrong. <laughs> 2002, my freshman year, Yep. I was living in the dorms with someone you had lived in the dorms with your first year because Erica's a year ahead of me. And he, I was dating a basketball player and he was like, oh, you should meet my friend Erica. She dated a, fr- a basketball player her freshman year too. You guys will get along. As if that was oh my God. a common thread. And did you say thread. after that comment, like, okay, we're breaking up now? <laughs> he's like, well, this is a guy also. Yeah. And he was just like one of these kind of characters where he did it kind of to poke at us. And that's like how yeah. he is in general. Um, but I think he actually realized there was something more there. And that was the like sort of snarky way being he, a could, jerk. he could set this up. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> being patronizing. So we met in the dining hall and yeah, the, it, it, we, we were friends all through college. We worked on something called the major activities board together, which is there's no minor activities board. This was the only one, but it was major. It was a concert planning committee. Um, and we took it way too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you, yeah. were, you were at University of Chicago. Yeah, yeah so we <laughs> had to do yeah. everything very seriously. But like, nobody takes social things at University of Chicago too seriously. So yeah. that was, I guess we were outliers in that. Yeah. So that was sort of our first working together experience. Yes. Um, just, you know, bringing in bands, driving them around, making sure they got fed. Um uh, we we were pretty decent at it. Yeah, yeah. I remember somebody sent pot brownies back to Rufus Wainwright, and we had to make sure that like we intercepted them, and that was probably you know, or at least he knew what he was getting. Exactly. Into. Hey, here's exactly. what's happening. Hey, before you eat these, you might get stoned. Exactly. <laughs> um, and That's then, hilarious. And yeah. then you guys, when you graduated, we did both you both come to back York. to New York? But yeah. you took very different paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I moved to New York in 2005 without a job, um, which was like very jarring for me and sort of uncharacteristic. Um, Very uncharacteristic. Erica was always, like, she, for me, was sort of that, like, rule-abiding older sister in college because she was always like, this is how you do things, this is, and and still to this day, like, very much likes a rule. Oh, yeah. Um, Like, too much. (laughs) And I remember being totally shocked that she was moving to New York without a job because it was so unlike her. And I think what got me to that place, I had done this thing between my junior and senior year of college called Road Trip Nation, where I drove across the country from LA to New York in an RV with two of my other college friends, and we interviewed people who had taken interesting career paths. Um, and the whole point of the, this sort of like program was to show that you can be things other than a doctor, a lawyer, and a banker and really be successful. Um, and one of the people we Ahead had, of its time. Yeah. I know. Erica was yeah. an early reality TV star. That was on PBS. <laughs> but yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and we interviewed mm-hmm. a Tusa Rubenstein, who was then the editor-in-chief of Seventeen. And I interned for her after that experience during my winter break of my senior year. And I had a meeting with her and she was like, so you're not going to do something silly like go to journalism grad school, are you? You just need to move to New York and get a job. And I was like, 
oh, I was totally going to do something silly like go to journalism grad school. Um, so yeah, I just told my parents like, no, Atuza said I just need to move to New York. Mm-hmm. Atuza said that's what you do. Um, and I feel like the selling point for my parents was the idea that even Oprah's magazine wasn't based in Chicago. So clearly <laughs> I had to be in New York. <laughs> That's hilarious. So you found, you went the media path and yeah. you must have decided you were going to be a teacher. No, I wanted to be on the business side of the art world because I had worked in the arts it, almost exclusively all through college, sort of on the administrative side. And Teachers College Columbia had a program, a master's program in arts administration. Ah, um, that's what yeah, it was. Yes, yes, okay. Yes. So I went and got my master's from Teachers College in arts administration. And I didn't love the program or my experience there, but it definitely led me to where I was today because I spent two years studying basically how nonprofits run as businesses because that's where the art world existed. And especially during that time, all of the corporate sponsorships were disappearing. Like philanthropy was a very interesting time for that sector. Exactly. And I just ultimately came out of it. I don't want to say jaded, but feeling like nonprofits are not a sustainable thing as for the art world. And, you know, in, or at least during, as they were being struck. I'm not sure sustainable for anything. Yeah, well, exactly. Anyway. Right. And at that same time, 20 by 200 launched, Kickstarter launched. And I looked at those and I said, that's the future of the arts in America, because, you know, we're never going to be like Europe and have this sort of like significant governmental support for the arts. But there's these really interesting opportunities being afforded by the Internet to support artists. Yes, and, and the art world still hasn't figured it out. No. no. But it has been a slow turn of a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is like 35%. It's in a slightly different direction. Yeah, it's like yeah. 35% turned around. Hasn't yeah. made a full 180 yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, they they move slow. That, But that's what got me so excited. I was like, this is the future of artists making a living, and this is the future of making um, art collectors out of a bigger piece of the right. population. Right. We're becoming Britain. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And and ultimately, that was sort of the seed of an idea that got us talking about what became of a kind because we saw it working in the art world and said, there's an opportunity here also in the design world. Completely. um, Specifically in fashion. And so you guys decided like late at night over the kitchen table and drinks. So... Claire emailed me one day. Um, she was applying for a job at 20 by 200, and it was like an assistant job, but she was just so obsessed with that company. It was to be Jen was Beckman's like, assistant. Yeah, Jen yeah. Beckman is amazing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so Claire was just like so obsessed with 20 by 200 that she was like, I want in on this business any way that I can, and sent me her cover letter to review. And in going back and forth about her cover letter, talking about what was interesting about 20 by 200 – we like came upon this idea mm-hmm. and like I had an email in my inbox when I got home that night from Claire. It was like, read this instead of my cover letter. It was like, why doesn't this exist for fashion? The same sort of thing would make so much sense in that space. But, you know, because most of our friends are shopping for clothes and jewelry and, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we were 26 at this point, 27. Um, and it just felt like, wow, there was a real opportunity there. So that night we sent back and forth a dozen emails fleshing out the specifics of it. And for me, Claire knew so much more about art than I did. So for me, I'm like, I love what 20 by 200 is doing conceptually. I struggle to connect with an individual artist because I don't know anything about them. And besides it being like, oh, that thing's pretty. I should put it on my wall. I want it like a little more story than I feel like Claire needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
so we really came up with the initial idea for the business right then that, and there. That same night over email because it was so much back and forth. And what's amazing in the age of email is to see the creation of the business and have that record of it written over email. Erica, to her credit, was very early to this idea of, of the integration of editorial and e-commerce because she saw it all around her where all of the magazines around her were folding. She was worried about her, you know, the own, her own magazine that she was working at. And you were seeing the line between editor and publisher blur, but mm-hmm. not in a very like real or forthcoming way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was like, why don't instead of, you know, this murkiness, why don't we create a business where we're selling things that we are writing about and vice versa? Right. Well, in the art world too, yeah. which I think is interesting about the art world, and you say you have no provenance and understanding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People that are deep in the art world know so much about these things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like um, sommeliers. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, and, and it's just like, yeah. And then when you see that painting and, you know, and in that room, there's these other paintings in it by these artists and the little things in them and why there's these green shoes. And it's just like... It's okay, lost I think on almost everything. It's completely everybody. lost. Yeah. I, like, I didn't go to art history school. I have no yeah. idea. Who yeah, has the totally. time? Right. Totally. <laughs> um, totally. So that was, the, that was the genesis of this idea of like, you know, we have access to all of these young designers because we live in New York and we have a real interest in it. But can we make that... Can we make the work of these young fashion designers accessible to a much broader audience by, you know, putting it on the internet, working with them to make these special, these pieces that will feel very special, feel like collector's items, and sort of couching it in the stories of how all of these pieces are made and what drives the makers. And that was early, the makers. Yeah. That's an important word here because no one talked about the makers. People tried to figure out the design world yeah. in many mm-hmm. ways and people yeah. are still working on the design world mm-hmm. but it's the makers that is interesting and you had a very specific niche yes, yes. you know yes. it wasn't like etsy you were no. curating who you were putting on this right. platform we were working with design so the original idea that we flashed out in the, that email was that we will release limited edition pieces from up-and-coming designers and we will release them in conjunction with a series of stories about those designers to give you a sense of who they are as people. Right. Um, so we didn't want to be presenting them as, you know, these people working in a white box studio who are totally inaccessible. We wanted to tell you where they were going on their vacation to Guatemala, where they're sourcing fabrics for the bags that they're making, or maybe their grandmother's style that influenced them, or the recipe that they make after a, a long day working when they, like, have two small children. Mm-hmm. Um, and just really presenting them as real people to get, like, at that maker thing. Um, and I think that was a real point of differentiation. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, we were working with people who were doing this full time, who wanted to turn this into businesses, who weren't doing this a few afternoons or on nights and weekends, but who were really like going for it. We held ourselves to like really high, not really high standards, but we took ourselves super seriously and put a lot of sort of restrictions on who we would work with then. And I think if anything, we've loosened them since then, but it was important in the beginning to say like, we're only working with people who have you know who this is their full-time job because it's important for us to sort of stake our reputation on we're getting behind the next big thing yeah right. if you're not if you're not all us. in how can we be all in yeah. right right yeah well i think one of the hardest parts of those artists which is really what they are yeah call them designers yeah. whatever yeah. they're creative people that want to make money on their creative talents yeah right. and their creative talents happens to be jewelry making or mm-hmm. bag making or mm-hmm. pant Ceramics, making whatever or, yeah. yeah is that majority of them are really shitty business people. Yeah. (laughs) And it had to do a lot with our success because we were able to identify 
for lack of a better word, where we could exploit that and say like, okay, we're going to help you market your business via this retail yeah. model that we have. Because um, we do name. have an audience. It was a great name. <laughs> of a kind. I've always Thank loved you. the name. How did you guys come up with the name? We had a ton of bad ones before we came upon that good one. I mean, it was really... Your the, dad had the best oh of my, the worst ones, I think. Yeah. My, <laughs> because he, when we first wanted to buy, when we decided yeah. on of a kind, and we didn't have a business yet, it was very early on, we said, okay, of a kind is the name. We went to buy the domain name and they said, that'll be $5,000. And we didn't have a business yet. So we said, I, I guess know, we have to come you. up with a different we'll name. We'll do something else. So my dad calls and he's like, I got, I figured it out. You should call it, it's you. And instead of saying, I don't think that's a good name, I said, I think it'd be hard to get that domain name too. I it was a really a soft better way to, like, way to let, let, it, let him down. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, okay, well, what about it's so you? <laughs> so <laughs> so that, those were some of the rejected names. But the, the of a kind thing came because, it, especially in the early days, we were taking so much from the art world and that model and really saying like, what the art world has really figured out and what 20 by 200 had really figured out was that this idea of a limited edition thing lends so much value for the consumer, whether it's a print, a poster, or a necklace, this idea that you have one of 30. And it was especially relevant right then because fast fashion was just hitting its peak where it was no longer a novelty like oh I have an H&M in my town it was more like like, every town has an H&M and how frequently are you shopping there and how many people are going to have that same top that you got at H&M and so everybody was getting a fatigue of like I everybody has that blue Zara skirt skirt I have have, yeah but that you know I mean ahead of your times because that is changing yeah Yeah. you know I mean there's starting to be a rejection of that there is totally I mean and so there is Millennials are buying less. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. They're buying items that they think are them and they are that they are represent so them. them. Yeah. You know, they're all their own <laughs> yeah. brands, yeah. right? They yeah. from you yeah. know, head to toe in the refrigerator. Yeah. And um, but what's interesting is the people that are spending the most money mm-hmm. are people fifty and older. Yeah. Well, we're seeing a lot of that ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we definitely I think we're impressed with and it made a lot of sense when we started mm-hmm. to think about it that we were attracting a sort of empty nester audience that mm-hmm. Was someone who a woman who really wanted to be like discovering things? Maybe lived in a town that didn't have cool boutiques, or maybe had one or two, um, and hadn't spent a lot of time discovering on the internet before because it was so crazy with raising a couple of kids. Now that the kids were off to college, it was like, oh, I want to find these things, but I don't want to be following forty blogs and right. like mm-hmm. then tracking down the e-commerce shop where I can buy these things. So Avakine was a really great solution because it came to your inbox. There was one thing at a time. It wasn't overwhelming, and you felt like you actually got a chance to get to know the makers. Totally. So I talked to you guys from the very early Mm -hmm. days. Yes. And then the two of you worked every day, 16 to 18 hours a day (laughs) for years. Yes. And you were so burnt out. We were. Yeah. Um, And with very little finance. No. Yeah. And very little support. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I'll never forget. We were working on a project that we wanted your advice on and we came here to your office and you gave us some advice and we were leaving you said I'm always telling so and so they should buy you let me know when you get tired and we literally had one foot out the door and I turned around and go wait I'm really tired (laughs) 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 Um, but or not one foot out the door of the business but we literally had what we were like leaving your office I remember exactly where I was and I just turned around and I was like oh I'm tired um because we loved what we were doing but yeah Yeah. at one point you need to see a little ray at the end of the tunnel yeah and I think we had realized at that point that what we were really good at was 
the curation of the site was the voice and the editorial and the creative components Mm -hmm. of the site. And what we weren't good at, we're dealing with a lot of operational hiccups and logistical things that... I don't think that you weren't good at it. I just think that the people that you were dealing with are Mm -hmm. terrible at it. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's, You can't get in there and solve their operational nightmares. Well, that is what was super interesting is that is and always has been a really big part of the opportunity in the market that we work in. And it's something when we were fundraising, which we were terrible at, almost every VC or investor we sat across the table from said, what you should really be doing is taking equity in these companies and then like helping them become... big businesses, which wasn't what we wanted to be doing. And it came with its whole It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It wasn't what our strength. It wasn't like, it wasn't what we wanted to be doing. We could have consulted really effectively on a business like that, but we liked, you know, we liked the creative aspects of it. And, you know, of course you were taking meetings at that point, really we're in a moment where we were figuring out what is the next step for this business? Are we raising a serious round of money? Are we going to sell? What are we going to pivot? What are we going to do? And we had done some successful projects for Target. Which was a major achievement. Oh, I remember when you got yeah, to oh my God. that. I'm so proud of us for pulling that off. That, I will tell you, truly, it is no small feat. It yeah. was no small feat what you it did. Was, I mean, the back yeah. and forth. Oh, it was it's so We were in 350 work. Target stores across the country. We shipped to 350 stores and had end caps there. And we were, at that point, a team of... Four. And I feel like it dealing was, with designers who couldn't get their shit together. Yeah. And dealing it, with designers who were creating on a scale that they'd never created on before. Right. Out of their like wood shops in Pasadena. I they mean, were taking out yeah. their own loans yeah. to be able to do it was to work with us, to work with Target across see, all yeah. In Target, I remember we yeah. had this conversation. Yeah. Should have paid them yes. to get it done, yes. get it on time so that there was no angst over the capital. And I think that is one of the things that these large companies have to understand. It's a real real struggle. Yeah, that part is a real struggle. And pay up front. None of this 30 day, which isn't 30 day, it's 90 day. And what we, and you know, I, it was the most incredible learning experience because I truly feel like we have as close to sort of a 360 understanding of the retail world, at least as it comes, when it comes to sort of design to see why it's not happening that young designers aren't in Target all the time or Bed Bath or whatever, because these big retailers just aren't set up to be doing yeah. that. It's such a shock to their system. And it did put us in a really unique place when we did meet with Bed Bath & Beyond. We first thought went in there, I wore leather shorts. I did not think. I like, wasn't thinking about them when I got dressed that morning because I was just like, well, there's another meeting that who knows what's going to happen. But like, I was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like this is going to be the thing that's going to change our lives. And, and blessedly, we didn't think about it that way because whenever we went into a meeting thinking it was going to be the one that changed our lives, then it's when it just like never was. Yeah. It right. always like felt really flat. Yeah. So – it, yes, it was the, like the leather short mentality of like, why are we here again type of thing. You know, we went in there basically to pitch them. We could do for Target. We could do for you what we did for Target. Thinking and they were that's like, what they were interested no, 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 in. no, 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 back up. Like, what's your story? How did you get to this place? What's interesting about this business to you? What works about it? What doesn't? Um, and all of that. And we left the meeting being like, we really liked them. Like, I feel like they really got it. And one of the last things they said to us was, you should be really proud of what you've built period, full stop, not for being two young women, not for the amount of money that you've raised, not none of this hedging that we felt like we were getting from every other direction where it always felt like kind of a neg. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, and they also, we came to realize during this meeting, we're a small, we're originally a small business started by two best friends 40 years ago. They started with two stores, one in New Jersey, one on Long Island. The co-founders are still the co-chairs of the board. That's super cool. We were like, I had this no is idea. They so also, much like us than we ever knew. 
The co-founders are still best friends today. They dress alike. They vacation together. That's so awesome. They also and they they gave they donated the money to build the new museum downtown. They're major contemporary art collectors. Um, So they're really interesting guys um, who have a very who who haven't always have had a very specific view on like how you build a business, which is like heads down work. Um, and, and that because they're still around and because they're still co-chairs of the board has permeated the rest of what is now a giant corporation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, as you said, we, we were, we were also heads down work for five years and I think they saw that in us and they saw that we were similarly scrappy as they had been. I mean, these guys took very little money on up until they IPO'd the company, which is an amazing story that basically it's a guy from Goldman Sachs sort of noticed the, the, of the wife of yeah his wife was a big Bed Bath customer and she was like you should look into this store so he walks into a physical store and asks to speak to the manager and is like I've been following your company and I think it's time for you guys to go public and that is how Bed and Bath the and ma- Beyond the manager ended up. Is amazing the manager at the store was one of the founders it was store one he used to work in the back of the store. I mean, it's just like yeah. talk it's about homegrown. Oh, it's yeah. a total family business. Their kids all work there, and um, and they're just an incredible story. And I, I really firmly believe that the influence that those two, Warren and Len, have had on the company and and the way that they have sort of grown it from the ground up had so much to do with what they saw in us. It was a similar mentality. It was a similar, also honesty about their shortcomings, which we have always had and been very upfront about. Like, here's what we're bad at and here's what we're good at. And that has also been part of the reason we've had a successful partnership with them. And yeah. so would you say to other people out there, I mean, it's, I do think that we are going to see more um, acquisitions over the oh, next decade. Joanne, we get an email once a week from somebody in our sort of like peer group of startups saying like, hey, can hey, we talk about this? how's it been going? Would love yeah. to hear more. Well, I'm sure, well, you know, the large enterprise companies have such tremendous amount of cash on hand. Exactly. They don't want to lose their market share, mm-hmm. but they've got to shift who their market share is. And so buying companies that are the next generation and allowing them to continue to operate as themselves, mm-hmm. yet giving advice back to the company is a win-win for everybody. It's well, when you incorporate them completely into the companies when they lose exactly. what they were. Totally. Um, and I think, you know, it allows bigger companies opportunities to innovate in ways that would be harder for them to Absolutely. do internally. They can't do it. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, they couldn't it's, even <laughs> attempt to do yeah. it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's little you know, tests, whether it's of like a new marketing technology or a vendor that we can execute on really quickly and get a really immediate read on that would be so much harder for them to do on a larger scale. And we can report back and say like, okay, this is working for us. This isn't. Um, And that, you know, that's been an interesting thing and also rewarding for us just to sort of be able to flex our brains in a different way. And I'm really impressed with the bigger companies that have figured out that this, you know, that this can be a good approach. And I think Bed Bath has been doing a great job with it. I think Nordstrom was like, you know, very early to this idea of let's tap into these businesses who are really good at things we're not good at. Family business too. Yeah. Yeah, Family business too. Yeah. You know, it's a very different mentality is we're seeing more family offices invest in companies Mm -hmm. because they have a long Mm -hmm. view of how things Mm -hmm. are going to work. So you guys have been there a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're sleeping. 
Yeah. I mean, I say it's the same amount of stress. It's just not existential stress. And it's the same amount of bullshit. It's just not startup bullshit. It's corporate bullshit. And you're ready for a new type of bullshit at some point. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, everything's a job, yeah. right? Like yeah. we're not like. Totally. Yeah. We're not on. Yeah. We're not living in a fantasy world where we think that there'll be no <laughs> headaches anywhere. It's right. still, you know, really hard work. For sure. Um, but it's different. And how many yeah. people are part of your team now? We now have nine full time, including us. Fantastic. And interns, um, which is the biggest our team has been. Um, and it means that. Claire and I get to pull out of some of the day-to-day things, the nitty-gritty operational logistical things that we've always done, and think more about the brand and the direction and strategy, which is where we should be. Right, which is what was the exciting thing at the beginning. Yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. It's been, I would say, the last year and a half, the biggest – one of the biggest learnings for myself and Erica as we've grown the team has been learning to be managers, which was a whole new thing. You just didn't have time to worry about it before, whether or not no, you, you were did. a good or bad yeah. manager. Yeah. Just, you just functioned. Yeah, exactly. And I think getting a little bit of breathing room to think about how to put a functioning team in place has been both challenging and rewarding. Um, and that's been a nice thing. And we've gotten to focus on these little seeds of an idea that I have ideas that we knew were working, like our newsletter and our podcast, but didn't have an opportunity to really see like, how far can we push this? Can we be selling enough ads against the podcast to be really making money off of it? Um, same with the newsletter. And we're finally getting to do some of that, which is exciting. And it feels like we're building um, a big brand with lots of different um, functions and arms and something for everyone. That's awesome. We're writing a book, yeah. which we're really Sweet. excited yes. about. Um, it's coming out fall of 2018 from Random House called Work Wife, and it is about the power of female friendship to drive successful businesses. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things um, that came has come out of what has at times been a really hard process with this company is the recognition that our partnership was like felt at, at many times like 90% of like what what we owed our success to and the strength of our friendship um and it was funny because we were as I mentioned notoriously terrible fundraisers but the one piece of feedback we'd always get from all of these investors who would say no was like but you guys are great partners like I really am impressed <laughs> with the partnership and you know I don't want to give you money but I guys really have something going here with your friendship. So we'd been approached about writing a book before because, of course, you know, with, like, girl boss and bossy pants and all these things, everybody's well, like... like you're, I feel like anything that has any traction... Yeah, everybody wants the next the big book. thing of right, it. Right. And we said, you know, for a while we were... We said, that's nah, not the right time. It didn't... We didn't feel like there was a story to tell about us that was worthy of, like, an entire book and... Or at least not yet, anyway. And we didn't want to do anything too prescriptive about, like, here's how to live your life. Um... And then when we came upon this idea that, you know, what we knew something about that was really unique and was was this idea of female friendship being the basis of a business partnership and you look around and it's not just us, but a ton of other really successful business. And it's, it's something that's relatively new. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look back two decades, there are not that many examples. If you look back to the last five to ten years, there's suddenly a lot. Right. Well, I think there's a many reasons. First yes. of all, you know, women couldn't even have their name on the door 100 years ago, right? Yeah. You know, they were about yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now that has changed and starting a business is not that something that's not so crazy or ridiculous. Yeah. And you want to have a good partner and someone that you trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. So I think that that's it. And by the way, I don't think you guys are bad at raising money. <laughs> I really don't. I, you, you. you pitched me. It was not about the money. It was about the business model. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I you know, yeah. and as you learned yeah. yourselves – 
it wasn't about your tenacity or your scrappiness yeah. or your incredible curation. Mm-hmm. It was about who you were dealing with on the other side of the fence. And I think yeah. that the really smart investors knew yeah. that yeah. was just so hard. Unless mm-hmm. you brought all those designers in-house. Right. And they designed and you made all the products for them. Well, and I will tell you what, it's the one part of the business that continues to be hard in exactly the same way. It, of course. And it, it doesn't If there's not a problem change. we can solve. Yeah, it's yeah, not, right. you know, we now, you know, I have a buyer who works under me and she's dealing with all of the same problems that I was dealing with, you know, before she came on board. And I look at her and I don't know what to say. I'm like, it will continue to happen. There's no way to avoid it. There's when, you know, All you can do is teach yourself that this will be a constant yeah. right. um, and accept it as a reality. <laughs> Agree. But I do think yeah. that the one thing, and I don't know, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond will be psyched for this, but if you dealt with, let's say, 10 d- new designers mm-hmm. and you realize four of them were actually mm-hmm. totally capable of doing this, mm-hmm. it was more about the money. Yeah. Right. That they were, you know, drawing from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Or like using their credit cards to do it. So it created stress in their lives. But they were 100% capable human beings of executing. Yeah. Yeah. That you had a fund that would say, we're giving you an order and we are paying you what it takes to make it. Mm -hmm. And then when you ship it, you make your money on your margin. Right. Like, I think that would change the dynamic. I know Mm -hmm. that's very hard for stores to think. Yeah. Because that's how their money flows. But that would change that. Yeah. Well, and I also do think that there are opportunities the more and more we're integrated into Bed Bath & Beyond, the more and more we understand designers' businesses to develop different kinds of partnerships that are more like licensing Mm -hmm. or whatever, where it's like, listen, maybe you actually don't want to deal with production. Maybe you have no interest in that as a designer and you really just care about design. Right. Maybe we can help source the production or use our resources to do that so that you can reach the scale that Mm -hmm. you would never be able to reach otherwise. I think the hard thing is that we're experiencing a sea change. When we started of a kind, direct-to-consumer was not really accessible for a young designer. Correct. Um, Squarespace didn't have e-commerce That's yet. That's right. Yeah. Squarespace was barely, you know, or, or it existed, but it wasn't big. But it wasn't for this. And the comfort level for the consumer of shopping yes. from a site that was just one designer, you were like, when is this going to ship? How is it going to come? was right. very different I think than I take it my is. credit card. 100%. Completely. I think the value proposition for of a kind has stayed the same on both sides of that equation, which is that we can do something for you that you can't do yourself and that, or don't want to do yeah, for yourself and that other e-com and that other retailers can't do which is we can tell your story and show your product in a really unique compelling way and put our stamp of approval on it and send it to an audience of a hundred thousand people who are really excited about it and exactly. want to see it today right um but that is a marketing proposition and i think what is changing for designers is they used to see they used to see wholesale as not a marketing proposition, but as like a, a business model. Right. And now I think they're starting to understand that wholesale is a marketing thing um, because they can take advantage of direct-to-consumer yeah. in a bigger way. Um, and that should be how they think of it. And I think that's sort of always what we have thought, but um, we're, we're dealing with that shift in mentality. Yeah. And I, I'm not so sure yeah. that there is going to be a brand that will be a $100 million brand in the next decade. Yeah. I think because of this, we'll have multiple small brands. Mm-hmm. So. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you guys so much for coming. Thank we could you. talk for hours. This was really fun. Having us. And yeah. um, it's been great, you know, following you on your journey. Oh, it's same. Been- Very <laughs> fortunate for us to have your support in it. So thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Erica and Claire for joining us to talk about their business and their journey. You should absolutely check out ofakind.com to see what they've curated. 
And while you're surfing the web, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you, as always, for tuning in this week to Positively Gotham Gal.